Welcome to the Pursuit of Wellbeing podcast. My name's Maria Brosnan. I'm the founder of Pursuit and your host for the show. This podcast is dedicated to providing wellbeing information, inspiration, and support for teachers, leaders, and school staff around the world. Before we get started, you can find a video version of this episode on our YouTube channel, Pursuit of Wellbeing. My guest today is John Rees. John is an experienced teacher, speaker, coach, trainer, and consultant with more than 25 years of educational leadership experience. John is passionately committed to improving the learning and life chances of children and young people. He provides training and consultancy through his company uh, in PSHE, citizenship, SMSC, and all aspects of school improvement. We will explain all of those acronyms shortly. (laughs) Uh, He supports individuals, organizations, and local authorities, including public health teams. John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Maria. It's lovely to be with you. Thank you. Well, let's start just for people who are perhaps not from the UK by explaining uh, PSHE. Is personal social health education. Okay. Um, That's usually known, I suppose, as um, social and emotional learning or perhaps personal development or even life skills. Okay. And SMSC. Is spiritual, moral, social and cultural. So I think there's a, we would suggest even, it's, it's more of a secondary model, but I suppose if we're thinking about a taught curriculum slot where we're focusing on developing children's social emotional skills, their emotional well-being, that, that's our PSHE, mm-hmm. and then running right the way through every curriculum area, but also into the corridors, into the, into the playground, into uh, the bus on the, on the way to school is, our, is, is, our, is the culture, is the ethos of the school, is, is how we, we, um, we treat each other, what it means to be a member of our learning community. There's far more to do with our spiritual, moral, social, and cultural. Good. That's a nice distinction. Good. Well, the theme that I'd like to talk to you about today is around newly qualified teachers, NQTs, and recently qualified teachers, RQTs, how they might be feeling as we go into this, you know, new academic year and what, you know, your, your uh, advice and guidance for them and their mentors, the people that are supporting them mm. as they begin their teaching career. So that's the kind of theme that we're going to be talking about today. Um, and I'll let you kick that off. What, what are the kind of key things we should be thinking about to support our NQTs and RQTs? Mm. It's huge, isn't it? Um, mm. I think anybody under the age of 120 has never had to deal with a global pandemic before. Well, I know we've had, but, but with the reach and scale and with the way that the UK and, and every other country has been turned upside down, um, I suppose we have to acknowledge that none of us are expert in this. We really don't know quite how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for our newly qualified, our recently qualified teachers and the mentors who support them, um, it's going to be incredibly important just to g- gently feel our way. Um, that we have to recognize, I mean, certainly, for example, in the UK, I think, for example, in a school in Scotland was due to open, but they couldn't, I think initially because of the weather. And then the following day, uh, a child had, or was thought to have had coronavirus and, and turned out to have done. So the place, although they were supposed to open up on day one in the middle of August, had to have another two weeks isolation or, um, you know, where they, where they didn't reopen. Mm-hmm. So we've immediately got to be able to flip from the 
preparation that we've done for our face-to-face -face teaching into our virtual teaching or a remote teaching or the, the blend of some children possibly coming in, some children being at home, some having access to the internet and others not. I think these are extraordinarily challenging times. Um, in terms, I think, of addressing the, the nervousness and the anxiety, I, I, think, I think that's inevitable um, and I sympathise with that, but I think we can also turn it to our advantage. You know, for, for today's webinar, I'm not feeling particularly anxious because you're gentle and kind, but, but actually, you know, if I was just strolling in here with hands in my pockets, think, well, I'll have a chat to Maria, it doesn't matter too much. I think we do need to have a certain degree of, of edge just to, to bring out the best in us. We need to have thought about it, we need to have planned, we need to, and, and think about what we're going to do. And then, of course, we need to be prepared, probably at the drop of a hat, to change things, be, simply because of coronavirus. I suppose one of the things I wanted to start off, I'd worked out some, some top tips, but which we needn't go through them all in one go, but I, I think I really wanted to just start with a, a, a message of optimism. You know, teaching is, is the best job in the world, and every profession starts with a teacher, but we also know it's one of the most demanding. Um, and one of the things that I wrote down was, um, a few months ago, my, my car broke down, and the AA guy, I was standing there, flapping my hands, hands fairly ineffectually. Well, I can do a bit of mechanics, but you know, I have no idea what's going on with the bonnet of this car. Um, but the AA guy came and he knew exactly which, which tool to reach for when he needed to fix things. And he did, and I was able to get on my way, and I was enormously grateful. But I think there's a phrase that, particularly for newly qualified teachers, or only recently qualified teachers, um, there's a phrase we, many people will have heard. Um, if you only have a hammer, you see every problem as a nail. Um, <laughs> and I think part of what we need to do during our initial teacher training and during our early years of, of being in the profession is to develop a toolkit. So when we see a child with a particular problem, whether that's a problem within literacy or spelling or numeracy, um, I, can, I can apply different, different things to move that child forward. So we know that some, I'm not going to use the hammer analogy with, with children, but, but actually some children will need a screwdriver and some people might need a flat bladed screwdriver and some, you know, to move their learning on, we might need um, a hex key or an Allen key. And some children will need a, a posi drive screwdriver, you know, the little, little star shaped ones. Mm -hmm. um, so I think all the time we need to be encouraging our colleagues to think and reflect. Um, sometimes that means we, we can wake up in the middle of the night when we're worried about a particular child. Um, but actually, we need to make sure that we're thinking and, and reflecting on their needs. But I would say also to our, our new, new staff and, and the mentors who look after them, you've also got to look after yourself. And if you wake up in the middle of the night worrying about a child, thinking about this, what are going to do about that, that's okay. But also, we need to find ways actually of switching off or making sure that we get enough rest because teaching is incredibly demanding and you can't do it if you're not well or if you're exhausted. Um, that that self-care is, is absolutely crucial. Now that was always going to be the case, but I think that it's particularly with coronavirus now, the increased levels of anxiety, uh, the structures and routines and systems that we will have to put into place, whether that's about one-way systems or bubbles or hand sanitizers, we've got to be absolutely um, rigid, not rigid, um, 
we're going to be unrelenting in terms because this is not just um, you know causing a little bit of disruption this could well be putting grandparents lives at risk so without being too melodramatic I think it's really important we, we reflect on on the systems that we need to have um, even before learning takes place and and when you talk about self-care which is of course everything that I, I focus on in my work it's what are your thoughts? So, so for a, new, a newly qualified teacher who is getting to grips with having his or her first class um, and, you know, the, the logistics of being a teacher for the first time with all of these new things, perhaps, it, well, it, they, they won't have known any difference. So that might, might work to their advantage to a small degree anyway. But how do we put these systems of self-care into place and, and you say as you know people wake up in the middle of the night with these worries and anxieties do you have any particular tips for helping them manage these things and to keep them in some kind of perspective that will help them uh, yeah, you know, keep I, I that think, under control i think you're right marie you put your finger on it there for me it is about keeping it into perspective and it's also about acknowledging that we can only do what we can do and also that it takes time um, so again, I oh excuse me, I have an itchy eye. Um, we talked about developing that toolkit, um, but also I think the sports um, uh, specialists will say it takes about ten thousand hours to get good at a at, at a tennis forehand. You need to do that an awful lot of times before before you you get really good at it, um, and that takes time. Now in the UK, teachers are supposed to work one thousand two hundred sixty five hours a year. So to get 10,000 hours in takes at least eight years. So I don't, I think first of all, it's about maintaining that sense of perspective that you talked about. It is about, and I don't mean to be, you know, dismissive, of it, it is about learning to walk before we can run. It is about to say, don't expect, and mentors don't expect your newly qualified, your recently qualified teacher to necessarily be at the level where, where everybody else is or the head of department is that we need to recognize that our colleagues are developing their skills. And I might, um, I, I remember well, for example, learning to drive, it was a long time ago, but I was learning to drive and my dad said, okay, you can change gear now. But oh my goodness, if I take my hand off the steering wheel, we're just gonna swerve into the ditch and, ditch and crash. Mm -hmm. But actually, you know, you, you can, I can do it. I could reassure people that I can do that. Okay, now you can take your hand off and, and move the gear stick without losing focus on the road. But that takes time and it takes skill. Now, hopefully, during their training years uh, or time, people will have started to develop that. But I know, and forgive me for mixing my metaphors here, but the minute I play golf and I think, okay, I've got this cracked. I know how to do this. You know it's just going to go horribly wrong. Um, so teaching is one of the most exciting jobs in the world. It is probably the most important job in the world. But it is also incredibly difficult. It is hard to get it right. And, and we need all of us, however long we've been teaching, to be continuing to reflect on what we're doing, not to beat ourselves up when we don't get it right, but to continue to reflect on what we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm painting in rather a, a bit of background there. In answer to your question, I think it is about, about self-care. So the stuff that I know you talk about, about making sure you have enough sleep is not self-medicating with alcohol. Um, it is about making sure that you take time off to do the things that you enjoy, whether that's knitting or sewing or 
yoga or exercise or, or going out with your friends, that's really important. Um, and I think it's only fair for teachers to to be able to, to reflect on actually if, if you've only worked 20 hours today, you could still do another half hour just to, to get that PowerPoint right, to get that little bit of music to come on there, to rearrange a display. Sometimes good enough is good enough. And I think we have to have a degree of self-discipline or perhaps we have to, for our mentors, we might have to model that for our, our junior colleagues, our newer colleagues, just to say, okay, guys, look, it's, it's now six o'clock in the evening, time we went home. Um, or if you want to pick up some stuff and do that later, that's kind of up to you. But I think we, we need to, to manage the workload so that we can also have that time off to read, to think, but also to, to repair and, and to re-energize ourselves. That's critical, isn't it? And, and you're right, it could be that extra, oh, I just want to get that last bit right. And I just want to, I, I have some lovely friends who were uh, NQTs in the last year and two years. And, you know, that, that enthusiasm and, and that getting up to speed is, is inherent in the job, isn't it? And, and how do we find that balance as, as NQTs? But as teachers and, and leaders as well, how do we find that balance for, for doing our best work that we can and not sacrificing all else, including our own well-being? That's, mm. it's, a, it's a difficult balance to strike. It is. One of the things I was thinking of, though, I think it's really important for the mentor is, is not to say, uh, let's go back to the driving analogy. I want you to drive and change gear and indicate and check the rear view mirror and, and then parallel park and do a hill start all at the same time. Well, let's just take it one stage at a time. What are the priorities? So there are, um, let me just check my notes too. Yeah, there are a long list of things that need to be done and some things you might like to do. And there's probably a whole bunch of things you probably should do or could do but there are more than enough things to be done. I think we've got to decide on what really needs to be done. So what is what, what has to be done? And and also then to have the the discipline or the self-discipline that if, if I've got my list, if, I've, if you're my mentor and I've agreed a list of, of priorities of things that I need to do, that I'm working on, is that you enable me to focus on those things and having consolidated those things, then we can move on to the next stage. So as a mentor, I need you, I think, to have a, a developmental plan mm -hmm. that responds to my needs, allows me to consolidate what I'm doing, and then move on to, to, to more and, and, and more detailed tasks. But I think it also requires all of us to have that sense of discipline to say, okay, okay, I've got my list of, of things to do. And if then you ask me to do something else, my my boyish enthusiasm or my professional desire to, to contribute and, and the enthusiasm or, or goodness me, I better look good in front of my, my senior leader here. And then there's a temptation to say yes, mm -hmm. but, but I've already got a, a bucket full of things to do. Well, where's that extra capacity going to be come from? That I think without, you know, it is, it's so important we cultivate those relationships with our staff and with our colleagues, both senior and junior. But also then we say, that's fine, Maria, of course I can take that on, but which of the other things do you not want me to do? Mm -hmm. Because if I try to overload um, myself or my colleagues too much, then things won't get done well. Mm. And I think we, we have to create that culture which just says we can do this much and probably not more at the moment. If you want something else to be done, there's something else which is going to have to drop off the list or, or to be parked for a while. 
Yeah. And I think that's a fantastic kind of mindset to have. And, and it can give people some confidence to say, all right, I can take on this additional responsibility, but what, what can I part? Because I just don't have the capacity to take on more. For a newly qualified teacher or recently qualified teacher, that would take some confidence to be able to respond in that way. Do you have any any advice around that? Because I think that might be a difficult thing to say no sometimes. And and I completely agree with you. But but how do we support colleagues when when that's a difficult thing to say? It is. Um, I think I think it's about it's about the culture or the expectation. So actually, as as your mentor, I need to probably model that mm. and I need to be aware of that. And we have to think, people will be, you know, the nuance and the tone of language, tone of voice, which is about, well, I can't do that. That's probably not going to be helpful. But it is about establishing a relationship which just says, you know, I work hard. We, we all expect to work hard and we should expect to work hard. Mm. But you know, I also need some time to think. And again, I think there can be there can be a danger in some schools that unless you're seen to be incredibly busy, unless you're rushing about with armfuls of books, or or you're not just exhausted and stressed, then obviously you're not working hard enough. And I think it's up it's partly down to the individual to develop that relationship with their mentor that just says, "Of course, you know I want to do this. I, I passionately want to do a really good job. But if I want to do a good job," um, there may be things I can't do it all at once and, and I need perhaps your help to help me prioritize. Mm. So it is about the individual, but it's also, as I say, about the mentor creating that space where we're actually to, to operate as a, as a bit of a shield um, or, or as a, a filter. Mm. If the, the deputy head has woken up one morning and thinks, right, we're going to do this with assessment. I, as your mentor, I might have to say, do you know that's a great idea? but I'm not sure we can load it onto Maria just at the moment because she's already working through these things. And we, it's my job then to say, Maria, don't worry about it. We will come to that in due course or we will manage that rather than throwing another, um, throwing another, another demand at you. Yeah. Good. That, that's very helpful. And, and then, and that logically leads to then having building a good relationship with your mentor, so you can have these conversations if you feel that you're overwhelmed or overburdened by your by your workload. Absolutely, yeah. and you're right. I think it is about. I would argue teaching is all about relationships, relationship with the children, relationship with the parents, relationships with our colleagues. So, how do we go about that business of um, of developing relationships with each other? <clears throat> And that takes time. So, for example, there's a lovely mental health charity in the UK called Time to Change. They had a, a campaign which was asked twice. So we know that thing where, where I say to you, are you okay? And you kind of all have to say, yeah, yeah. And if I catch the edge of something, and I, she said she's okay. So, so, so that's fine. Let's just move on. But I think there's a really important place, particularly with coronavirus and the, the additional demands and pressures and, and anxiety that will create for everybody, is I say, you okay? And you say, yeah. I said, really? Are you sure? Yeah. You know, do you, do you want to just talk about that? So it is about just giving people the space to, to share their concerns. Now, again, I think we have to understand the busyness of teaching, mm -hmm. that if, if it's 90 seconds till the bell, and I say, are you sure? And you kind of go, Vuh. 
mm-hmm. oh my goodness, well, I've got a class full of children, You got, and, and now you're, oh, Frankie, how do we manage that? But I think it is really important, even if we're not able to say that, 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 that I see you before the lesson, I say, you're okay, and you, there's just something that concerns me slightly, or, and after, then I need to pick that up and just say, you know, I was, you know we never, we've now got half an hour for lunch or whatever it is. I was just concerned, Marie, you're not convincing me that you're okay. Tell, tell me about what's happening. Mm-hmm. And if you say, no, no, really, it was okay, I was just a bit worried about that lesson, or I, I think oftentimes, I'm sure we all experience this, where, where somebody says, you're okay, and somebody goes, Bleh. and they say, oh, gosh, that sounds awful. I'm just wondering, is there anything I can do to help? Uh, and they kind of say, no, actually, it's all right now that, that I've, I've just unloaded it. And having talked about it, I've put it into some perspective, and, and therefore it becomes okay. Mm. So on the one hand, I think it's really important we expect that top-down from good leaders or middle leaders to support our junior colleagues. But I think there's something really important. We know as sentient adults that leadership can be a lonely place. And I think there's, a, there's, a, there's an important place for our, our trainees, or our newly qualified staff, just to, to offer those positive strokes up. That's a nice point. Yeah, it's often, it's often not noted, is it, the, 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 the heavy load on the shoulders of, especially, you know, the head, head teachers and deputy heads. It's a heavy load, especially right at this time. Mm. And, and middle leaders, I think, as well. You know, the head probably doesn't have very much of a teaching load. They have all sorts, but they have time to think and time for meetings. I think oftentimes middle leaders have often got a very high teaching load and they're expected to, you know, their, their time is, is far more squeezed. But I think for me, it's, it's about supporting that ethos or that culture of, of support and respect for each other, that I, as a newly qualified teacher, I have a right to expect that you will support me, that you will look after me, that you will map out my professional or help you to, to support my professional development. Mm-hmm. But I think, as, as I say, I think there are really important points for me as a newly, as a recently or newly qualified teacher, just to say to you as my, I mean, thank you for that scheme of work. That is really helping me out. Or I was so glad you were that, that difficult parent who came in. Thank you so much for being there because, you know, that would have been pretty scary for me. Or even just to say, you know, what a, what a lovely assembly. That's a great way to start. Thank you. That's been really nice. Without being toadying or, or, or you know, inappropriate in any way, it is about setting that culture of, of mutual support. Lovely. Um, where, where, we can, where we can thank each other, where we can praise each other. And little things, and I'm not quite sure which way this goes, but it's it's just a post-it note that says thank you. It's it might be a card, it might be a I know you've been flat out, I've made you made you a cup of tea. Yeah. Um or or even look, I can see you're stra- busy with that. Do you want me to do your break duty? I'll, I'll you know, I'll step and watch the kids for half an hour for fifteen minutes, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Now that, that might be more difficult if you're new to the system, but I think it's really important that we create that that ethos where we look out for each other and we support each other. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And now more than ever, um, just those, those small acts of kindness and generosity to each other will go a very long way, won't they? Yeah, absolutely. I think also it's so important as, I suppose I'm talking more from a leadership perspective now, but, but you know, we need to support our colleagues through the life course. If you've got a 23-year-old who's very happy to do 60 hours a week and run an Easter booster class and do a summer residential, mm. hang on for them for as long as they last. <laughs> um, I guess given that living that lifestyle, the chances of them finding a partner or doing other things at the weekend are fairly remote. But, but if they do start to, how do we support them then? If they do start a family, 
um, how do we create that ethos from the school? It's, it's my child's first nativity play, kind of just like an hour out to go and see them. Um, or how do we, you know, it's, it's their last um, primary school leavers assembly, or it's their, their high school prom. I'm not going to be gone all day, but I'm, it's, it's my, I was talking to a colleague just before lockdown, actually. She, she was saying um, in a secondary school to her colleagues, my child is, is wanting to go to university. I'm going to need a morning out just to take them there. Well, that I mean, I'll have to cover lots of harumphing. And she wanted to say, well, cheer up, because next week it's Southampton, and that'll need a day away. Mm. Now, or, or how do we support our old colleagues who said, look, I'd love to be for that meeting at 4.30, but I've got to get across town to my sick parents' carer, because that's where I am at the moment. That's where my life is at the moment. Mm. So right the way through our professional career, right the way through the life course, I think as leaders... But also there's that followership that we need where we're supporting our colleagues to say, no, I quite understand. That will mean more work for me. But if my if Maria is my mentor and she's saying, I've got to have a morning out to take my mum to the clinic, to take my daughter to the to university, you know, whatever, whatever those other pressures are, mm-hmm. then we have to respond to that because we know if we give it, give it we will get it back tenfold. Um, I've, in, in a number of schools I've, I've been in, particularly before lockdown, there was a, a, a trend happening that seemed to be interesting and very, very well received by, by staff where senior leadership would offer somewhere between a day and three days of, of leave per year that, where you could take, your, take your, um, yourself to the dentist or your child to university or your parent to a clinic. You know, All of those little life things that we need to do that are difficult to do in a busy working day. And... As you say, that came back tenfold to those leaders because giving, giving people just a little bit of space in their, in their busy, busy teaching career um, to do those important life things is well received and, and will come back to you generously. I think so. Um, I think there's a danger that we can overplay the notion of vocation. So... Um, I think I possibly said to you when we were talking about this, Maria, I started life as a slim and curly haired young PE teacher <laughs> quite a long time ago now. But, but even then, <laughs> there were people who they said, well, I'll, I'll do a PGCA, a postgrad certificate, and maybe I'll teach and maybe I won't. We'll have to see how it goes. But we, the, the, there's always been some level of, of churn or people dipping and perhaps dipping out of the profession. But given the number, the the staggeringly and worryingly high numbers of people that we lose from the profession in those early years yes um i think there is there is something that we need to look at ourselves as a as a profession but also as a school because I, I can't manage everybody in england or the world or whatever but i can deal with my department and if i'm supporting those colleagues creating that space where where it becomes okay to ask for for, for a, a bit of time out or, or whatever that's really important. I might not have the, the managerial responsibility for doing that, but I think wherever we can to create that space to support our colleagues. No, nobody comes into teaching to do a bad job, mm. but they come in with heart and soul. We're not making widgets here. Um, you know, teachers will, will lie awake at night worrying about my children. Actually, my children and somebody else's children, but that we feel that huge sense of responsibility. Yes. And those who've been, who've been teaching a while will also remember fondly those those perhaps very small people or those young people who we now see 
as, as young adults. Um, and when we see them coming in as newly qualified teachers, that makes us feel very old. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think there's something really important about, um, as you say, about creating that ethos, acknowledging that culture. Um, and if we, because the alternative is if we don't support our colleagues, then the expense for them and us is huge. The expense for our children, if, if I become gradually more cheesed off or, or um, disillusioned with education, that, that gradual or sometimes fairly sharp decline doesn't serve our children well. Mm. I have a few days off, I go for interviews, uh, I eventually leave. Um, the cost to the school, I, I worked it out with a, an employment agency once, I, I think it's something at least like £15,000. Now, we know people work at promotion, people will retire, uh, people will go on maternity leave and all those things, of course, inevitably part of it. But if we have a lot of people who are, who are leaving the school because they feel overworked, because they feel under-supported, because they are just not getting the fulfillment or the professional development, or, or they just feel consistently beaten upon, or, or squeezed or pressured, or, or from the middle leaders, nothing is ever good enough. No wonder we lose those people. So for £15,000 a year, you could probably put on quite a bit of coffee at lunchtime yeah. or allow somebody a day out occasionally or some time out. That actually our, I think there is a, there's an economic case to be made, not just for staff emotional well-being, but the cost of replacing people um, is huge. Now, I'm not going to stay in your school just because I get a free biscuit every, every break time. But I, if, that, if that's part of the ethos where I feel valued, where I feel supported, um, then, then that's going to be really important. I remember talking to a head recently um, who was saying, of course, teaching is very lonely. I thought, right, I don't remember it like that. He said, well, no, they've got a new build. He said, we've got, you know, he calls them kids, but uh, our newly qualified staff um, will come in at 7, 7.30. They've done three or four hours preparation the night before. He said they disappear off down the far end of the spaceship if the only adult contact they get is somebody coming in, so you haven't forgotten your reports, they're due in tomorrow. Mm -hmm. oh, man, really? Yeah. How, I think as middle leaders, as mentors, I'm so sorry that, I don't know <laughs> if you're hearing the, okay. I live in it's, Baskerville Hall. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're live and we're in the middle of life, so if there's a little dog barking in the background, we're totally happy with that. <laughs> you can be happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> And um, so, as, as I say, I think that it's a two-way process. That, that as, as a mentor or middle leader, I need to support and and encourage, and I need to protect my my junior staff. Yes. But also, our, our newly qualified our junior staff, um, I think, have a right to say, "Could could you could you work with me like this?" Yes, um, that takes confidence, and it, yeah, and that's something to build on. John, we're coming up to a half hour already. Time oh flies, goodness. doesn't it? Is there uh, any final comments or thoughts from you before we wrap up? Um, yeah, I think it's about embrace the challenge. Yeah. It is, of course it's difficult, of course it's demanding. Um, it is emotionally and, and physically tiring. Mm. But the rewards, not just in terms of grades or, or pupil progress, although those things are important, for me, the emotional well-being or the sense of satisfaction to see young people come through and change and grow and develop, whether that's very little people who can now 
put on their coats and do up their buttons. And that's a major step. That, that's setting them up on a, on a life course for difference. Or, or that they get that qualification that enables them to do a college course or a university course. I think we, we need to embrace that challenge. And the, the rewards for the hard work are, are vast. Yeah, wonderful. But also, the, I think as, as people move into middle leadership or senior leadership positions within schools, my task may be to create the conditions where where my colleagues can do that well so i think there's a place for for leaders at all levels to create the space where where our newly qualified and our recently qualified staff can do their job to the very best of their ability yeah. and that and that's our responsibility to create the conditions where they can do that perfect that's a lovely lovely point to wrap up and and to wish all of our um, newly qualified and recently qualified teachers, the very best in this uh, in this year that they're that they're going into now. It is, yeah. Um, I, I was just briefly. I was watching a, a, a video from Dylan William, who is a wonderful speaker. He described how Andre Previn, who was the highest paid music person in Hollywood, one day just walked into his office and resigned. I said, Why on earth would you give up such a wonderful job? He said because the, you know I wasn't afraid anymore. There was no more challenge. And I think the good thing is for teachers, that's a problem we're never going to have. <laughs> so, so I think there's something about embracing, recognizing the challenge, but yeah. not feeling swamped or overwhelmed by it. If we do feel ourselves being overwhelmed, we need to put in place systems to, 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 to look after ourselves, to ameliorate that, but also to revel in that challenge. Actually, this, this is never ending. This is actually really exciting. Yeah. And, and therefore to, to go with that and embrace that because, because it is so rewarding. Yeah lovely place to end and well just to that point about don't if don't feel alone in this you know it as you described earlier it can feel lonely but don't feel that you're you're on your own and reach out for, for the support wherever you can i think it's also about recognizing that you know there's always been a dip in learning uh, or in children's progress after they come back from sometimes quite a long summer holiday um some children will have done lots of home learning and will have thrived and flourished and actually for some children sometimes on the autistic spectrum or children with special needs they will they will have thrived or loved not having to deal with the hurly-burly of school i think a lot of children will come back after almost six months out of education and will just be so pleased so keen so just love being back in school there's going to be quite a number of children who i think will be really struggling because they've been locked in you know in loveless households where and, and others where there will have been abuse um i think i think it's an extraordinary challenge now coming back in to to manage that <clears throat> and although i think as i said or alluded to at the start i think there's a place for we must be really quite rigorous about um if the, the reason we're asking you to socially distance or the reason we're asking you to walk on the left or to to, to maintain these bubbles is because we want to look after you and, and your grandparents. But it, so it's not about um, a, a soft landing, but it is about also taking time to develop those new routines, to set those new social norms for, for how we are with each other. And it's probably about meeting those social and emotional needs first. I was talking to a trainee teacher before, before lockdown, she said, oh yes, it's Maslow before Blooms. Yes, yeah, it is. It is. You know, it's it's very easy to say. Okay, we've all had six months off. Crack on with learning. Yeah. Um, 
I think we need to acknowledge that there is learning that we need to get back to. We've all been turned upside down. Some people will have done a lot. Some people won't have done so much. Some people will find it really anxious making to come back into school, staff included. But, but our job is to, is to develop that with, the, with our pupils. Say, I know it's been uncertain, but we, we will keep you safe. We will look after you. We need your, um, I was going to say compliance, but we, we need your, you to be responsible for yes, that. Yes, yeah. um, And to engage with that for the reasons that we've explained. Yeah. Not just because I say so, uh, but because, you know, we're, we're dealing with a, a virus that might not make you very ill, but it could kill me or, or the people that I live with. Um, and we need to be, without being melodramatic, I think we need to be sensitive to that and, and get young people on side with that and say, yeah, this is very destructive and it's very um, disorientating, but, but together we can get back to the business of learning and, and, and personal development and growth. John, thank you so much. Um, let, let's uh, help people find you online. Um, I've been speaking with John Rees, PSHE specialist and leadership specialist. John, uh, you can connect with John on Twitter at PSHE Solutions. And John's website is PSHESolutions.co.uk. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure. Thank you, Maria. It's been lovely to talk to you. Thanks so much for listening. Now check out our website, PursuitWellbeing.com and take our free teacher anxiety quiz. I'll include the link in the description below. The quiz only takes a couple of minutes and you'll get a better understanding of where you are today, plus tips to immediately feel better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you feel inspired, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. I love getting your feedback and learning how we can improve our program.